Right. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. That's our Old Testament reading this morning. Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 8, and then we'll go to Romans 10, 8 through 11. So I'm going to ask you to please turn with me in your scriptures uh, to Isaiah 61. That's our reading this morning. This is the year of the Lord's favor, his goodness and his mercy to his people. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For the Lord loves justice. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Praise God. Now to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. And beginning in verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be ashamed. And that's the reading of God's word this morning. Uh, let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much, Lord. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to bring forth this message. I pray, Lord God, that you would receive all honor and glory, that you would, um, that you would use me as an instrument, Lord God, to bring forth your word. No glory to us, no honor to us, but all honor and glory to Almighty God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God the Spirit. So, Lord, please, I pray that you would be with all of us. Help us to be engaged, Lord. Help us to understand and help us to live out these truths in every aspect, every sphere of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and praise God. I was thinking about you know what, I mean, just the process of sermonizing is really, um, you know, it's, it's in the Lord's hands. Like, the best laid plans always kind of, it's, you know, it's best not to necessarily do that. Like, plan loosely. I wanted to finish chapter 10. That was kind of my intention going into this week. But I kept coming back just to verse 11. The Lord just kept bringing me back to, to verse 11 to, yeah, just... For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you believe in him, you will not be put to shame. And so I just 
The message is just taken from that this morning. And I want you to be encouraged, Christian. I want you to be challenged this morning because we're living in a world where all they want to do is shame us or put us to shame for us to be live in a shameless way. So that's really what this message is about today. It's a little bit different um, kind of sermon. You'll see that as I'm going through because I'm just focusing in on this particular idea. But I just kept, the Lord just kept bringing me back to it, back to that shame. We will not be ashamed when we stand before him. Do you know that? That's a promise. That's a promise from the Lord that every single person who believes in Jesus Christ will not be put to shame. Do you believe that? That means when you stand before him, you're not going to be proven wrong for believing in him, right? And the world wants us like to, to kind of be ashamed of what we believe in, but you will not be proven wrong. You will not have been foolish for trusting in Jesus Christ and giving your life to him and living for him. There will not be humiliation. You're not going to be humiliated. You're not going to be embarrassment, embarrassed. All these things are, are related to shame. You're not going to be these things having believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. Because I know there's sometimes for some of us, there's kind of a part of that, you know. Sometimes you even struggle. Is this really real? Is this really all true? Yes, it is. And you have nothing. You will not be put to shame. And that's really important. And I want you today to hold on to this so tightly because we're living in a world, especially in a time right now, where two things are happening, you know, simultaneously at the same time to really kind of, shipwreck our faith if, if it if it can be done in that way. And that's this. Number one, that we're living in a world where there is no shame. I'm t- Okay, maybe a little bit, but really, no shame overall. That's the world that we're living in as Christians. So it's really strange to us to see people have no shame about certain things that they're doing. They don't care. They don't mind. They, they just kind of do with that. Like, how can you do that? So we're living in a world where there's no shame as Christians. And number two, and even more pertinent, I guess, is there is tremendous pressure. You you have to understand, there's tremendous pressure on you. If you're a Christian this morning, tremendous pressure is being exerted on you to make you feel shame, man, to make you feel ashamed for standing on the truth. That's That's so important to know and to understand. It's always true. But it's especially true now because of the times that we're living in. It's, it's, when you're, certain times when there's kind of a sense of morality, we can fit in a little bit better in that way. But when you're in times like now, no way. No way. It's, we're not, we're, every, we're coming up against it. There's a godless world. And in a godless world, the restraints are lifted. We talked about this all the time. God lifts the restraints and kind of lets that evil just play out. Men go after the desires of their heart. And that's kind of what's happening. Not kind of what's happening. It's what's happening right now in living color, in living time, right before your eyes. It's exactly what's happening. How can you know that those restraints are being lifted? That God's saying, okay, this is what you want. I'm going to let you go. How can you know one way, and this is again our focus today, is there's a shamelessness, man, that people feel no shame. People feel little or no shame when they actually ought to. They're not embarrassed when they actually should be. They feel no remorse when they ought to feel remorse, right? That's what's happening today. And shame itself, we're not going to be put to shame. Always have that in your mind because it's it's hard to think about that because we live in a world with no shame and you're going to be people are going to try to put you to shame all the time but that shame kind of acts like it's one of those aspects 
of God's grace that acts like a guardrail, right? When there's shame in the world, you know, if you're driving down the street and you, you, know, you slide along and you, and you hit the guardrail, okay, that's still pretty bad because you, you hit the guardrail, but you're, you most likely will be okay. At least it's going to break your fall, as it were, right? But when those guardrails are removed, when there's no shame, you're just going over the cliff, man, and we're going over the cliff. We are going over the cliff today. Understand that. Don't be fooled. Understand. The, the, the guardrail is gone. There's a shamelessness that's happening, and there are effects to that. There's real consequences to that. Listen, man, we're not going to be put to shame. Always remember that. But we're living in a world where shamelessness has effects. And here's how it works. Number one, when there's no shame, it's a way of normalizing right? Improper and even sinful behavior. When you take shame out of the equation, if you're not ashamed of certain things, then it's just going to become normal, right? The things that you do, it's improper and sinful behavior. When shame is taken out, it's a way of justifying an utter lack of self-control. I don't have to have self-control, right? I could do whatever I want and not feel bad about it. I feel no shame. I'm not even convicted. I'm, you know, of course, there's guilt and other, other aspects involved, but our focus this morning is on shame. When shame is gone, it encourages open acts of sinful behavior. It just does, because people don't really care. A lack of restraint. It's like Proverbs chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Here's the adulterous woman. She says this, And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wildly of heart. She is loud and wayward. Not quiet and in the shadows, but she's loud and proud. Just read a story this week, and I think in Fox, whatever it was, one city in California where the prostitutes, remember it used to be the red light district at night, you know, that kind of thing. Wide open, daytime, walking down the street, in thongs and on the street corners and, you know, selling themselves in that way without any shame whatsoever. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies and wait. There's no, there's no shame. That's, that's part of when, when shame is taken out of the equation. These kind, you normalize improper sinful behavior. It's an indication of an utter lack of self-control. I don't have to worry about controlling myself because why should I? I'm going for what I want. It encourages open acts of sinful behavior, a lack of restraint, a lack of decorum. Decorum is just behavior keeping good taste. There's very little decorum these days. Nobody's standing on that. Everybody's just kind of doing, it shows up even in, in different ways. Even when you, when you go to, to, to fast food places, they don't like, Back in the day, you had to wear the uniform. You had to you had to abide by certain things. You had to the customer treat the customer right in that way. Now it's like, hey man, you don't like it too bad, right? Um, yeah, that's the way it goes. And sitting there waiting at the counter for twenty minutes. I'm here. You know, I'll be with you when I get there, right? That's exactly. It's a little bit of hyperbole, but not much. Um, but that's the kind of idea when there's because you're not there's no shame that they don't care, right? Modesty's out the window. That's that's part of this. When there's no shame, just dress what you want, say what you want, do what you want. I was at Panera yesterday. I just heard the workers talking about their personal lives. I could tell you about this person's love life and what's going on in her sex life because she's talking about it in front of everyone with no shame. Right? It's a rejection of moral standards, ethical behavior. And and they double down. You know that shame is gone when people double down. Do you hear that all the time? Well, they double down. Because 
that means when somebody's busted doing something they shouldn't be doing, they should feel shame and remorse, but they don't. So what do they say? Well, they're doubling down. That came home to me many, many years, well, many years ago now. How many of you heard of a woman named Mary Kay Letourneau? Remember that? That school teacher, married kids? She fell in love with a student, a young student, like 12 or 13 years old. I mean, fell in love with a student. She was exposed. She was brought out. And instead of feeling, oh, my gosh, what have I done? That shame. I'm embarrassed, remorseful. She doubled down. You know, she went to prison for a while, came out, and just went right back. Ended up marrying, having having children with this guy, with this kid, with this child. There's no shame there. And then we get to the place where we say, well, I guess that's love. I guess they accept. See? But you take that out. You take shame out, and this is what happens. Ultimately, it's a sign of our arrogance, because we think we can do what we want, and God's not going to say anything. It's a sign of our utter selfishness, man. And I'm just, I don't care what other people think. I don't care what God thinks. I'm going to do what I want. It's a sign of our rebellion of, against God, and it shows more clearly the depth of our fallenness that there's no fear of God. See, that's what shame is. So you're told, you, you're not going to be shamed before the Lord. But in the world, we're living in a, with a world without shame. So First Peter tells us this, 4 and 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. No shame. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery as they malign you. That's exactly what we're talking about this morning. And they're going to say, what? This is what we're doing, right? This is no shame at all. As a matter of fact, you're going to be made to feel shame for not joining them in their sin or living according to your convictions. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Okay, so there's a lot of pressure in that way. Philippians 3, 18 and 19, of course. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why are they walking as enemy of the cross of Christ? They may have been professing Christians, now they're gone. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And that time, it's like the belly, it's kind of like with a seed of emotions, how we would use the heart today. You know, that, that's our God. Our heart leads us, our feelings, whatever we want to do, whatever feels right at that time. That's the, that's the idea. Their heart is their belly, and they glory in their shame. They glory in it with minds set on earthly things. They glory in their shame. They're proud of it. They're not embarrassed by it. They don't feel foolish by it. They, they're happy, and they're free to show it. That's Okay, so that's the, the context in, in which we're living in now. Now, people are proud of the things they should be ashamed of. They boast in things that they should be embarrassed by this day and age, for sure. That the younger generation, especially without real knowledge of the Lord, you see it. It's much more prevalent. They don't care. It's just how those things are. Now, why should they be ashamed? Why should they be embarrassed? Because the things that they're doing are not in keeping with God's design, with God's intention, with God's word, with God's will, and with God's law. That's why. Right? That's why. Because you're, you're forsaking God and just putting yourself against the Lord and you're not feeling any conviction or shame by it. Let me give you an illustration. There was a time, I know this is low-hanging fruit, but it's, it makes the point. There was a time when sex before or outside of marriage was a cause for shame. Do you know that? Did you know that? You know, there was a time where people had to sneak around a little bit and, you know, not, not hope you wouldn't get caught. That, 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 because why? Because it, not just because you're in trouble, but it was shameful, right? If you had that reputation, that was shameful. Let alone if you had a, a baby out of wedlock, you know, that was, that was something to be, you know, that, that was, there was shame there for sure. I mean, you know, not only 
were you having sex outside of marriage and before, but now you're having, now, now you're pregnant. And so that was a cause for shame. Now listen, and I want you to hear this. I'm not talking about the shame that's held in a legalistic way. You understand? You know, things happen in that way, and, there, and, and obviously there needs to be grace involved. I'm not talking about in a legalistic way. I'm not saying you take the girl, hide her away for six months, and then she comes back with a baby brother. You know, we're not talking about that. That's not what we're saying. But there is proper amount, proper shame that should be involved in that because you have defied the Lord, because you've done things that you should not have done. Again, there's always, there's always repentance and, and forgiveness in that in the Lord, but it's, there's that shame because you violated God's design. You violated his intention. You violated his word. You violated his will. You violated his law. That's, that's the heart of it. Lord, I've, I've sinned against you, like David said, and against you only have I sinned. And why is that important when we talk about things like sex? Because sex is a precious gift from God. That's what it is. It's not that, oh, you guys, you Christians are stiff and this and that. No, 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 no. It's a precious gift intended by God to be expressed within the covenant bonds of marriage. That's what it is for our good. You know what that's like when you have somebody who truly loves you and you love that other person and you're expressing that in that beautiful way. That's how it's intended by God as an expression, an act of love. We used to call it making love, right? Not anymore. True oneness, that oneness, that companionship, that fidelity, that commitment. I'm yours and you're mine. You know, refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's the beauty of it. That's why God gave it. It's a beautiful thing in many, many, many ways as an expression of his love for us. Within that context, we have children who are a gift from God in that context. Husband and wife, children, stability, structure, love. They learn and they receive so much from both mom and dad. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in that. That's honorable and that's good. And it glorifies God and it's good for us. Do you understand that? Today, today, right now, we are living sex without restraint. It's lost all its meaning, man. It's, it's, you could hook up this morning, and like by lunchtime, you could be having relations in that way. That we're living, sex, so much of that loss of restraint has to do with the loss of shame. Instant hookups, you're giving yourself away. For what? For what? What are you looking for? What do you do? Conquests here, mere pleasure, trying to find something in some way and somebody in the, what are you doing? You're not going to be happy. You're not going to find fulfillment. You're not going to have lasting joy. Maybe momentary pleasure, but that's it. But now there's no guilt after that. At least back in the day, as it were, there was guilt and there was shame. And you didn't want people to know. Now it's just out there. So what? Far from feeling any shame, they glory in those exploits. Let's face it. Even among professing Christians but especially in the world. We're living in a world without shame. Do you understand that? That's, a, that? that's our context. That's where we are. That's what we have to understand as Christians. Think of some shows that are on television right now. Right now. Find them on television, Netflix, Amazon, whatever. Hugely, hugely, hugely popular shows. And some of you watch these shows. I'm not saying you should... Look, man, just listen. You know the context that God has for sex, marriage, and love. But you have shows like 16 and Pregnant. Remember? You used to hide away the girl that was pregnant, now you're broadcasting it for the whole world to see. There's no shame. 
We're inundated with shows, popular shows, that have this, like, there's no shame. Just do it. 90-day fiancé. They meet, they hook up, they see if they can love each other. Bachelor, bachelorette. Yeah, bachelor and bachelorette. Love is blind. Temptation Island. Are you the one? Married at first sight. Dating around. I can go on and on and on and on and on and on. That's a lack of shame. And you're, because you are violating God's intention and His goodness regarding marriage and sex. Do you understand? And we have no shame. It doesn't matter what God says. You're not going to feel that, that tinge like something's wrong. That used to be a guardrail. That's gone. Understand? So now we just do it. And they're being honored for it. We're living in a time where shamelessness is considered good. Where it's seen as somehow noble. Where it's accepted as right. And now we're confused as Christians because like, wait a minute. How could they, don't they have any shame? Don't they care? Now listen. For the unbelieving mind, the world that we're living in right now today, this kind of, what, I'm, what I've been talking about, is a way of breaking down barriers. See, we see it. This is sin. You should be ashamed of. They see it. No, 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 no. This is, this is breaking down barriers to, to my freedom so I can be who I am, so I can express myself. It's, it's, it's breaking down oppression. Okay? This is oppressive. You guys are oppressors over there. This is, this is freedom of expression. That's what this is. It's progressive. It's honest. It's authentic. It's who I am. So sex with whomever, whenever, is nothing to be ashamed of today. That's a context in which we're living in. It just is. You could say the same for homosexuality, for transgenderism, for divorce, for adultery, for pornography, prostitution. No shame. No shame. You have, oh, I forget the name of the the app, the, the porn app that... It's just like everyday people. What's it called? My, huh? Only my and only fans, something like that. Only something fans. Just I, Paul's laughing at me. That's yeah, because I'm by this old man. He doesn't even get it right. Okay, only fans, whatever that is. But that's just like okay. We're just gonna do this for everyone to see. No shame. No shame involved. Right. This is the time, this is where we're at right now. It includes a host of other categories, not just the sexual immorality and all that, stealing, lying, cheating. You have scam artists who know that they're taking people's life savings, people's pensions, and they don't care. They're shameless. It doesn't matter. If they're stupid enough to fall for it, well, then they don't deserve to have it. That's the mentality. There's no shame. They don't care. There's no shame even for the for, for people that steal things these days. They'll walk right into Walmart and just take whatever they want. They're not going to cover their faces. They're not going to just going to throw it in their cart and walk out. What are you going to do? No shame. I mean, there's other aspects involved, but, but see, the bottom line, there's no shame. They don't care. It's going to take what I want. I deserve it. I don't, what are you, you going to do? We're living in a moment of time, Christian, where there is no shame. Little integrity as a result. No concern for what is truly honorable, good, and right. And that affects Christians as well. So you need to be careful. Every God is still holy. God is still on his throne. Sin is still sin. And we're still bound to that. So understand that. So that's on the one hand. Now, on the other hand, the second point is this. Now, remember verse 11 and hold on to this because he says, everyone who believes will not be put to shame. And we almost want to say, Lord, are you sure about that? (laughs) Are you sure about that? Because it sure seems like the world is trying to shame us or put us to shame. And here's that, that reversal. The second point is, 
the world will seek to shame you. They're not ashamed. There's no shame in the world. But they're going to shame you as you hold to Christian convictions. You understand me? As you apply the scriptures to your life and you want to walk in obedience to Christ Jesus, there's going to be tremendous pressure. And one of those pressures is making you feel bad, embarrassed, stupid, and foolish for believing what you believe as a Christian. Oh, man, there's tremendous pressure on us like that in so many ways. You're made to feel ashamed for the very things that define Christianity. It's for the very things that define who you are in Christ. You know that? You're you're going to be made to feel ashamed for telling the truth. Just for telling the truth, you'll be made to feel ashamed. You're going to be made ashamed of the gospel and proclaiming it. You're made to feel ashamed of your faith, embarrassed, foolish, and stupid for expressing your faith. And that's why so many Christians are silent. That's why we're quiet. Oh, we're intimidated. We're fearful. But underneath that, there's that shame. And there's part of us. That's why Paul, we'll see this later, tells Timothy, don't be ashamed. Because the world is going to try to make you feel ashamed of what you believe, of your Savior Savior who died for you and who you are. This is where you need to be strong. This is where you need to hold on to this and be faithful. Because what the world wants to do is to shame you into silence. Don't talk about that. Don't don't bring that up. But even more than that, they're most successful if they can shame you enough so you embrace the lies. That's the Satan's ultimate goal, to shame you enough, not only to be silent, but also embrace the lie and encourage. Let me give you three examples, three illustrations, three examples. Number one, we're going to go back to the sex outside of marriage thing. That's called fornication. Most of you are going to say, forna what? (laughs) What's that? What's forna? I never even heard that. Okay, you are going to be laughed at, Christian. I don't care. Go talk to your friends who aren't Christians. Talk to your family members that aren't Christians. Talk to some of your family members that are Christians or professing Christians. And you will be laughed out of the room if you say you ought not have sex before or outside of marriage. What? Are you kidding me? Wow. How backward you are. How antiquated is that thinking? How puritanical is that? How Elizabethan is that? It's 2023, man, not 1823, dude. Come on. Everybody is doing it. They make you feel stupid and ashamed. No no question. That's what the goal is. Feel ashamed so as to justify their own sin. If you could be ashamed as Christian, and we're kind of the vanguard here, we're the ones that have to stand, but if they can get you to kind of agree with them, then it must be okay. That's what's going on. Number two, take a biblical stand on same-sex, trans, all that. The shame is going to be brought. There's anger. Again, there's other aspects involved, but let's think about the shame. When they call you a bigot, when they call you a homo-transphobe, when they say especially, and I know there's guilt involved here, but under this they want you to be ashamed of what the Bible actually teaches, that, that you're uncaring, man, that you're unloving, that you're unsympathetic, that you should be ashamed. Not me. You should be ashamed for being so narrow-minded, for being so closed-minded, for attacking my personhood, for making me feel bad about myself for just being myself. How does it make you feel? Now what are you going to say, Christian? See, that's, that's the idea. And so the, uh, the implication is, and sometimes they'll even say, how dare you? How dare you? This is who I, you should be ashamed of yourself, Christian. 
Intimidation, yes. But at the core of that, fear, yes. At the core of that is, is for you to be ashamed, to be embarrassed by what you believe, and then not speak it. And it's far too easy for not to do that. That's number two. Number three, third illustration and example is this. Professing Christian announces she's divorcing her husband. She's in love with another man. She has found her true soul mate. She's been having an affair with him for two years. And she's not ashamed. She's not ashamed because she's in love. She has her reasons. Here's the deal. You're a Christian. You say, what about your faith? What about the standard? What about the word? What, what about the word of God? What about the scriptures? What about the vows that you took before God? What about your family? What about the fact that it's sin and that you need to, to, to repent and you need to be reconciled? You know what response you're going to get oftentimes? And I've seen it and I've known it, not just once, not just twice, but time and time again, you get this kind of response. Well, you just don't know. You don't know what it's been like to live with this man. You don't know what I've gone through for these past 15 years. You don't know anything about my life, so who are you to tell me? There's two sides to every story. How dare you judge me? See, this is what you're going to get back. You see, the one... You're trying to be made ashamed of this, of like, okay, but here's what the Bible actually teaches. She's in love. You are supposed to be loving, supporting, caring, and understanding, and forgiving. I'm done with you. I've seen it. It happens. I'm done with you. What just happened? just happened. We're supposed to be Christians. Here's what the Bible teaches. Here's what I'm telling you. You know, you know in your heart the truth. You know your motives as you're coming to that person. You know your concern. You know your love. You know the standard, but somehow you feel bad. Somehow you almost feel ashamed. Am I judging? I know that I'm not perfect. Are the legitimate reasons? Maybe she's right. I don't know. Am I? And you start to question that. That's exactly what the world wants you to do. Take away the standard, right? Just take away the standard of God's word. How dare you judge me? You're supposed to be loving, caring, understanding, forgiving. That rings in your head, rings in your head, rings in your head. Even though you know the truth, you know how much you love that person, but somehow you feel ashamed. And in a twisted irony, this happens, I've seen it. A twisted irony is that you end up apologizing to them and letting it go, moving on, functionally accepting that sin in their life. That's the shame. You see that, ma'am? That's not who we are. That's why I want you to hold on to verse 11. There is no shame if you're faithful to Christ. It's hard to be faithful to Jesus Christ. You're going to feel shame. You're living in a world that's shameless. And they're they're really going to pressure you to feel that shame and to make you feel embarrassed about what you believe and, and almost stupid and silly for bringing these things up because the whole world doesn't do that anymore. But, but he says you will not be put to shame. You have to hold on to that. There's a pressure for feeling ashamed for being faithful to the word, just for being a Christian, for loving Jesus Christ. They want to drive you to shame for what you believe. They're going to make you feel stupid, dumb, silly. 
To say there's only one way and Jesus Christ is the only way, that's the only way of salvation. You know how unpopular that is today? We're living in a pluralistic world, people. You can't say there's only one way. There's many ways. What about that person over there that never heard of Christ? What about people that are faithfully practicing their religion? What about all this? How dare you? You should be ashamed of yourself for saying that there's only one way. And sometimes we are. You know, we want to say, hey, if they follow their religion to the max, then, you know, the good part that God will see. Wait a minute. Jesus never said that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's the message of the gospel that we proclaim, even though you're tempted to give in because you feel ashamed in that way. Right? You guys believe in miracles. You're stupid. Don't you feel silly? Parting of the Red Sea. Okay, you're right. Axe heads that float. Come on, fire that comes down from heaven, blind seeing, deaf hearing, water turning into wine, multiplying loaves and fishes, calming the storm, walking on water. (laughs) Don't you feel stupid? Look at the day and age we're living in. Science, fact, right? We have it. Believing the Bible. You know this if you're in my class. Big attack on scripture. You believe the Bible, Christian? Do you know what you're reading? We have no originals. We don't have Paul's actual writing. Do you know that? And do you know that we don't even have the copies of that original? And we don't have the copies of the copies of that original? Or the copies of the copies of the copies of that original? How could you believe it? Don't you feel ashamed of yourself and silly for believing this? How could you even believe it? I want you to feel shame. The world will try to shame you. How foolish is it that a man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago has anything to do with me today in 2023? Not stupid. You guys are silly. Shame, shame, shame. The world will try to shame you, but you hold on to this verse and verses like that. He says, if you believe in me, you will not be put to shame. And we know that in part because how much the world wants to shame us and put us into shame and embarrass in that way. In light of that response in scriptures like this, here's the deal. As a Christian, you should never, ever feel ashamed for standing with the truth because it is the truth. It's his truth. It's the truth. It's truly true. There is no other truth besides his truth. Let thy word be true, O Lord. Thy word is truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. Do you understand that? Never be ashamed to tell the truth because that's what it is. That's why if we go down in front of the magistrates, we tell the truth with conviction, with love, with humility, but you tell the truth because they need to know that truth. They need to know that that's a baby in the womb. It's not just a clump of cells in the womb. They need to know that these policies are destroying life, and they're called as magistrates to preserve and protect life. They need to know the truth, and you should never be ashamed of that. They need to know the truth that they are under King Jesus, and they will answer to him. They need to know that, and don't you be ashamed to tell them the truth. They need to know that the commandments apply to all people. You think John the Baptist was telling King Herod, that's for nothing. He said, no, you're under the commandments of God and you have your brother's wife and that's not right. The truth. Don't be ashamed to tell the truth. When we don't do that, we're showing, not just that we're afraid, not just we're intimidated, below that you're saying, I'm ashamed of Christ and of the truth. You understand? That's the bottom line. That's a hard reality to deal with. But that's what it is. Number two, you should never be ashamed of your faith. You should never be ashamed of what we believe in. 
or who we believe in. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8 says this. Listen to this. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, not of timidity, but of power, love, and self-control. Therefore, Timothy, I know that you're timid. I know that you're fearful in your spirit. But he says to him, because of who we are in Christ, because of what we have in Christ, and the power that comes from Christ, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Why was he warning Timothy that? Because there's a tendency to be that. Right? I'm not saying we don't love Christ. I'm not saying that, you know, we're not truly converted. If we're scared, afraid, intimidated, even ashamed, you know, like it's, it's like you still loved your father, even when he, like, you know, embarrassed you in public, that kind of thing. He's still your father. You still love him, dad, you know, kind of ashamed. And don't say that to me. And I remember one time being in that way. My, Parents were from Italy. They had that thick Italian accent, and we're in South Hills Village, and you know, I'm in a store doing something. Here comes my dad with his booming Italian voice, just like kind of saying things to me. I was looking for shoes, I think. He said, "Hey, Joe, you find the shoe." And all my school—it was like the night before school, so all the kids were there. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know that." You know, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. There's a tendency to do that about the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospels with power because when you're not ashamed and you're standing on truth, you better know that they're going to come after you. You better know that you're going to be persecuted. And that's part of the fear that works into this. But underneath that is being ashamed in that way. Never be ashamed. Yes, the gospel, there is only one way. And we say that boldly and plainly. We have sinned against our God, whom we need to be reconciled with, and it's God the Son who reconciles us. That's who we sinned against. We didn't sin against Buddha. We didn't sin against Muhammad. It's against God Almighty. That's why we need to be reconciled with him. That's why there's only one way, because he came and paid the price for our sins. It's through him that we gain forgiveness. He provides it. We've sinned against him. We need to be reconciled with him. He comes and reconciles us to him. That's why there's one way. We believe in miracles. Absolutely, we believe in those miracles without shame because it's those miracles that authenticate, that attest that he's really God. That's the signs. It wasn't just pragmatic. It wasn't just to heal. It wasn't just to give. Oh, I need a miracle today. No, in scripture, it was because this is my God, this is my world, and I have dominion and power over it. And the laws of nature are my laws, and I have the right to change them if I need to at that particular time. But it shows who I am. So they attest to who he is. So never be ashamed of that. Absolutely. It shows the truth of who he is and what he has done and what he's able to do. So we do believe in miracles. Number three, we should never be ashamed of the name, person, and work of Jesus Christ. You know BLM, when they do some of their um, demonstrations, and they'll say, name the name, name the name. That's part of a ritual. It's part of a, a, a religious ritual that goes on. And it apes, it, mo- it borrows from Christianity. How many of us are ashamed to name the name of Jesus Christ? Well, I'm a Christian. Well, I'm a believer. Well, I'm a follower. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord. Jesus Christ is the only way. Never be ashamed of the name, the person, and the work of Jesus Christ. Because if you're ashamed of Christ and you don't repent, guess what? Romans or Luke 9.26 tells us this. Whoever is ashamed of me, if you're ashamed of me, if you're embarrassed, if you're shy, not shy, embarrassed, you know, feel foolish about being a Christian, 
You've shown that you're ashamed of him for making the claims that he makes, the demands that he pours out, his law, his intentions. Who's ever ashamed of me and my words? Of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. That's a big deal. I hope that weighs on your heart a lot. If you're ashamed of Christ and continually ashamed of Christ, take that to heart. We make no apologies for the gospel. We don't water it down. We don't lessen the demands. We don't try to make it nice and pretty. It is what it is. We're sinners. We deserve hell. Christ came to save us. Repent, believe, trust in him. Don't water that down. Don't say, oh, we've made mistakes. You know, God loves you and he wants you to... Listen, man. We're bad. He's good. We're sinful. He's righteous. We're wrong. He's right. We're defiled. He's holy. Okay? Understand that. Isaiah 45, 17 promises this. It echoes what we read this morning. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame. You will not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. That's exactly what Paul is saying here in Romans 10. So remember this. Remember this when you're tempted to be quiet, silent, shame. Again, we always do it with humility, love, graciousness, always like that. But be strong, firm, and resolve in your heart that you will not be ashamed. If you believe in, trust on, and live for Jesus Christ, when you stand before him, you will have nothing to be ashamed of. You will have nothing to feel foolish about. You're going to know that all of this is true. You understand? We will not feel foolish, but vindicated. We will not be humiliated, but we will be humbled before Almighty God. We will not be embarrassed, but we will be assured of his love and his mercy. We will not be disappointed, but we will be satisfied with him. Do you understand and you believe that? You will not be put to shame. But you've got to be strong, because the world is shameful. We tend to go over to that, and they're also pressuring us to be ashamed and to be embarrassed. Conversely, those who are proud right now, well, they will be put to shame. Oh, they'll be put to shame when they stand before the Lord because they're going to know what they did. They're going to understand the magnitude of their sin, the magnitude of their sinfulness juxtaposed to his holiness and righteousness. The wise people today, the people who think they're so smart and they're doing what they want to do, they will be shown to be the fools as they followed their own hearts, as they disobeyed God all along. Those who think they're so right and so correct and so progressive and so free and so authentic are going to be humiliated when they see how wrong they were and what they denied and how they took the truth of God and the love of God and the good things of God and twisted them to please themselves. Those who believe they would not have to answer to God will understand that they were gravely mistaken. You can go on and on for a long time, but sooner or later God is going to cut you down and you're going to give an account. If you're a Christian this morning, my, my strong, strong encouragement, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Speak the truth always in love. Know that when you stand before him, you will not be shamed. 
If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're living like this, if you say you're a Christian, but you're still living in these ways that bring shame to his name and you're shaming yourself, then you should be ashamed of yourself. But the answer to that is to turn to the Lord, to repent, and then start living your life according to his word. Amen? Okay, stop. Stop what you're doing. If you're living shameful ways, you stop it. If you're ashamed where you should be properly shamed, stop. If you're in a wrong relationship, make it right. If you're doing something you shouldn't do, stop doing that by the grace of God. Stop. Turn to him and know that love. Know that hope. And know that you will not be put to shame.